Well, good morning, and my name's Jeremy Watson, and let me add my welcome to that of Andrew. Uh, it's my pleasure to speak to you this morning. Um, if you haven't opened your Bible already and we're just looking on the screen, um, please grab a Bible from the pews around you and turn to page 978 as we focus in on this passage and think a bit more about uh, what James is saying in chapter 2 and how that might apply to us as individuals but also as a church here at St John's. But actually, as we begin, I'm going to start with a quiz. And so you can respond either silently or out loud. What do you prefer? Tea or coffee? Cat or dog? Summer or winter? Sweet or savoury? Introvert or extrovert? Red wine or white wine? <laughs> Quick-witted or patient? Rich or poor? <laughs> Strong or weak? Self-sufficient or needy? White Anglo-Australian or coloured foreign with limited English? Good answer. Today we're thinking about what we prefer or favour because our reading from James 2 highlights that our natural preferences can often lead us astray. In fact, so often what the world chooses is the very opposite of what God chooses. And when it comes to people, who you choose is more important than choosing tea rather than coffee. God does not choose people based on outward appearance, and neither should we. And as Andrew mentioned, we're continuing our series in the letter of James as we think about putting our faith in action. And to start the series, two weeks ago, Tim spoke to us about having joy amidst trials because God uses these trials to actually grow us in faith. Because God often uses brokenness and weakness to mould us into the people he wants us to be. So have a look at, with me uh, actually at James chapter 1 as I give a brief recap. So James chapter 1 verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So trials are always difficult. I don't want to understate that. But James helps us to see that in the end they are actually gifts, unwanted gifts, but gifts that mature us and grow us in faith. And verse 5 explains further about God's grace. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously 
to all without finding fault and it will be given you. Then James spends the next six verses saying, don't doubt the generosity of God. Don't be in two minds regarding God's generous character. And by verse 12, he says that those who persevere will receive the crown of life which God has given and promised to those who love him. And then verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, God does not give with one hand and hold back with the other. This is not a harsh and stern God that we're talking about. His generosity is constant and unchanging without favouritism. And this idea is the foundation for James chapter 2 because the message of James 2 is that the recipients of God's generosity should also be generous to others. God's generosity is not based on external appearance, so our generosity should not be based on worldly standards. So look now with me at James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. And the favouritism talked about here is prejudice. It's about a subtle discrimination based on appearance and wealth. Preferring the rich and beautiful was common in the ancient world just as it is in our world today. Look at the example of verses 2 to 4 again. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, sit there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So this is such a powerful and sad indictment for a church. This congregation illustrated here values people based on wealth and external appearance. They are shaped by their surrounding culture of patronage and selfishness. But this contrasts with how God sees people. Verse 5, listen my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. You might have noticed that verse 5 here ends the same way as verse 12 in chapter 1, talking about the promise to those who love him. And James in chapter 1 was reassuring the believers about God's generosity to them. And so, God's eternal promises are given to those who love him, irrespective of their social class. I love the lines in the opening song that we sang, where it talks about God being unchangeable. He sees the depths of the heart and he loves the same. 
But also notice that James is not saying that God chooses the poor rather than the rich. It's an important uh, distinction to make. Because what, what James is saying is that rather than you, you church here um, that he's addressing here, James, rather than you who are choosing the rich rather than the poor, God is actually compassionate and merciful to all people. And this makes sense in terms of God's compassion for the poor because the Christian story is one of humbling yourself, of admitting your own need before being lifted up by God through Christ. Christ, who was rich, became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. And this idea of including the needy and making an effort to include those who are different to us might work differently in different places. Last weekend here at St John's, I attended an inclusion workshop focusing on how children and families ministries might include people with different needs. The workshop was specifically talking about children and families with disabilities, but rather than there being something wrong with the children, the problem lies in our programs, disabling children from our ministries and taking part in the church. What a sad indictment to think that our programs tend to exclude people from being part of the church. We heard stories of families entering a church and being treated like an inferior member. They received virtually the same message as this poor man in James 2. Stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. And this workshop actually used this very passage in James 2 to demonstrate why churches should include people with different needs. And as part of the material, it talked about how seasons come in our lives where most of us ourselves will actually experience some form of disability. And as James talks about in chapter 1, the Bible even dares us to believe that trials and seasons of disability come to us from God because God so often seems to work through suffering and weakness rather than in ways that avoid it. So now James is saying, why are you neglecting the poor? Why are you neglecting those outwardly useless people, maybe the weak or the outcast or the smelly? God chooses those who love him, those who admit their own poverty and need. And we are to get on board with what God is doing, bringing people together who rely on God's strength and provision and not their own sufficiency. And all of this occurs through Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus is the master in so many ways, and he is the master of identifying with the poor and needy. 
It, it's hard to imagine, but you see, the second person of the Trinity, he has no needs, right? He has no needs. But the person of Jesus came as a helpless baby. He was born a poor parents in a poor and lowly village. He was a refugee as a child for a while. And he became known as the carpenter's son, for he himself was not that highly respected. His disciples deserted him. In weakness, he was captured and nailed to a cross. And in 1 Corinthians, he is described as foolishness to those who are wise and a stumbling block to those who demand strength. So the question remains, and it's such a challenge, isn't it, of what do you prefer, rich or poor, strong or weak, self-sufficient or needy, a noble, upright citizen, or perhaps someone who's an outcast, humiliated by his own people, someone like Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was not attractive based on his outward appearance. He wasn't impressive by the world's standards. A 16th century theologian, John Calvin, writes that Jesus sanctified poverty in his own person so that believers should no longer shrink from it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, I am a brother to another person through what Jesus Christ did for me and to me. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done for both of us. The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. In the poor brother, Christ is knocking at the door. We must therefore be very careful at this point. So James is building the argument that having received the generosity of God, we are to be generous to others. Having been united with Christ, we are to identify with the outcast, the needy, the strange, the poor. And then he actually, in verses 6 to 7, invites them to reflect on their own experience with the rich. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So if the members of this church stop to remember for a minute, they may well have been victimised by the rich. But in contrast, the poor, according to the Bible, are those who recognise their need and dependence on God. It's worth clarifying, though, that not all poor people in our society trust and depend on God. Uh, that, that's, that's the reality. And James is not saying that we literally have to become financially poor. You might know of plenty of so-called poor people who are also proud and self-sufficient. 
but in the Bible, identifying with the poor means depending on God and not looking down on others. So how might this play out for us practically here at St John's? I realised that if someone walked in who maybe was quite uh, shabby looking outwardly, uh, maybe he had a bad odour, you're probably not going to tell them to sit there on the floor. Uh, I'm still consider myself fairly new to this church and I've been here less than 12 months and I can personally testify to being warmly welcomed and embraced here at St John's. But as I reflect on this, maybe that's because I'm more like the rich person. I have clean clothes, I'm open to talking to people, I'm a student here preparing for ministry. You see, first impressions make such a big difference. But God looks at the heart. He looks more deeply and patiently. So I wonder if you can think of anyone you've had contact with who, on first impression, you didn't want to talk with. But I also wonder if you can think of someone in that category who then you have made an effort to include them and now you're able to really appreciate them as a member of your own community. Because that is what happens through love when we put our faith into action, when our friendship and family groups become inclusive based on Jesus. And I realise that that process takes a lot of space and time and effort. It's difficult to love people who are different because it means often that you have to change as well. One specific example of that sacrificial love, I think, might be actually finding someone who really wants someone to listen to them, to value them as a person by acknowledging and, and spending time with them listening. There are so many people who don't feel valued because they're not listened to. And one of the great privileges I had this last summer was a placement in a hospital. Actually, all I really did was visited patients and families and listened to people. I didn't really have to bring anything particularly at all. It was really difficult. It was really costly. Sometimes it was painful. But listening to people and loving people through that is something I need to work on, something I need to practice and grow in. And it's something that changes me as well. And this key, this idea of loving the other, of looking deeply at a person and loving them, is something that James highlights as he quotes God's word, God's law in verse 8. Verse 8 says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So James here is quoting the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18. But it's also a command that summarises the ethics of the Old Testament and that Jesus quoted himself. And it's called the royal law really because God is supreme as king, but it's also called sometimes the law of love because 
it really governs how we're to respond to God, how we're to understand God and live as his people. And James uses it here because love is the opposite of favouritism. Verse 9, But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Then James lists the two commands against adultery and murder to show that going against any part of God's will is as good as breaking all of his commands. You see, the reality is that there is no single sin that is overlooked by a holy and perfect God, but there is no sin that is beyond the generosity and grace of God. All of us are sinners, all of us are needy, all of us are under God's judgment, but we also all under the gracious mercy of God through Christ. Verse 12, so speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So believers in Christ are able to love across the the large gulf of prejudice, fear and suspicion. Instead of favouritism according to worldly standards, we can love according to God's will and character. Being conscious of your own sin and need while receiving God's generous grace makes it a lot easier to love people. But it's not easy but we need to remind ourselves of God's love given to us through Christ. Because when we love with Christ's love, everyone else is on the same level, at eye level. You can no longer look down on another. Whether they're rich or poor, impressive or unimpressive, you realise that they're on the same level. So, for example, today I stand before you as a white male, educated and rich by the world standards. But actually, more core to my identity is that I'm connected to Christ's body, a global body of believers throughout the world where the, average, uh, the profile of the average Christian in the world is female, non-white and poor. Brothers and sisters, who we prefer and love matters to God. But because God's chosen us through Jesus, we can embrace anyone. So let's pray to that end. Generous Father, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, guard us from worldly favouritism. Help each one of us and our church as a whole to display your love and compassion to the people we meet. Grow us so that we might put our faith in action and we pray this through Christ, our servant, saviour and Lord. Amen.